Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Center Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Henry. I am your other co-host, Matthew. And today, we are talking about our favourite TV episodes, slash episodes that made us love a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, very exciting. A lot of probably weird choices, I think. I think I've got, I've got definitely like a one hot take episode. Mm. Um, I think I do as well. Yeah. I think I have one that sort of goes against convention, because there's one show that Everyone talks about one specific episode as being the turning point. Uh-huh. But for me, it comes much later. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go through all that. We're going to have fun with that. Before we do that, just want to mention that we do have an Instagram account and a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Um, our Instagram is at Marvelous Runner Podcast, where we do every other day reviews and uh, weekly podcasts that come out on Monday. Um, also, we have a Twitter account at Cinema Marvelous where we do the same thing over there every other day reviews and weekly podcasts that come out on Monday. Um, so, yeah, go over there, give us a follow, go through our post maybe if you've got the time, uh, give us a review on our podcast if you want, um, mm. all that stuff. Um, if you don't do it, that's, that's fine. <laughs> 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 we'll be real sad. Um, but yeah, <laughs> let's just move on to the topic at hand. And do you want to get started with your first pick? I can do. Um, where do we where, where do we start then? I'm, I'm going to go for the one I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show in question is right. um, everyone's favourite TV show, and I don't mean that sarcastically. It does genuinely <laughs> appear to be the TV show that everyone talks about as being the best one, and that is Breaking Bad. Hmm, okay. So, as I said before, there's generally, when it comes to this, there's one episode that people... I've seen people talk about a lot when it comes to the episode that made it become a great show, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people liked it before. It has, you know, it's, it has a very well-regarded pilot episode, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to find it on IMDb. So... <laughs> There we go. <laughs> so the episode that people genuinely seem to talk about is uh, season two, an episode called Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically the moment where, um, again, spoilers, specifically the moment where Walter lets um, Jesse's girlfriend die. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's one that people people talk about a lot. It's like a turning point for Walter and all of other stuff. But for me personally, like I, I, I enjoyed Breaking Bad. From the start mm-hmm. to the end, I thought it was thought it was good, um, but for a while I was watching it thinking this is this is all great, but I don't quite understand why people think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um. I, until so the moment that I understood why people liked it and why for me it became a really good show is Face Off. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. With John Travolta. Because of watching that. <laughs> <laughs> that made me know um, it's the final episode of season 4 9.9 okay. on, 9.9 on IMDb so you know it must be good oh you know I do remember this now yeah remember that it's, episode again spoilers it is, it's the episode where they they kill Gus mm-hmm. um, specifically the, the part in question is um, when Walter reveals that he poisoned um, Jesse's girlfriend's son mm-hmm. I think that's right yeah so it's like a, a big thing throughout the episode where he's or the previous episodes where he's denying to have poisoned the kid but then he's revealed right at the end through like a visual cue that he, he did indeed 
And for me, that's the moment where it became the... Well, at least I understand why people love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's that moment of Walter White, you know, he's become, he's become the bad guy properly. Mm-hmm. This dude's evil. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally for me. For me, that that is the definition of that oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. It's like where you revealed, and you, you almost want to point, want to pause it, and just go and crouch in the corner, <laughs> facing the wall, because it just changed everything, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that, that that that's sort of what that's kind of for me the almost the gold standard of that oh shit moment where you realise the show isn't just good anymore. <laughs> It's great. I know it's later than a lot of other people. Like I again, like I do really like Breaking Bad. For me, it's probably not one of my top TV shows, but I completely understand why people love it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on? Uh, yeah, I. I mean, I'm similar boat. Well, I kind of like watched it late. I kind of mm. missed the whole it coming out and the hype train sort of thing. Um, so I always knew like the general arc of. Walter White definitely goes bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but even even then, I remember watching episodes. I remember the whole thing being so perfect. And at the same time, like, questioning. The plot seems to be wrapping up. And I was really confused because there's another season after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the entire, like, four-season plot does kind of end in season four episode, like, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that twist of it ending with, okay, so we we have one, so where do we go from here? And it has that visual cue of just like, oh, shit. And you just realise that we've won that at a really bad cost. And <laughs> um, um, I, I think it's great that, I think the show opens with like a, a really like contemplative scene of like Walter White and no dialogue. And we see him kind of look towards a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never see or understand what that really means at all until literally like, the final shot of this episode. Because yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, it's been like an hour-long episode and you think about all these things that are happening, all the plot things, all the character things, and the villain literally, you know, like being dead now. Um, it's always amazing things happening in this episode that when you come back to that like scene or that moment or that setting and you're kind of like, oh yeah, that's how we started. And you go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a, it was definitely like a turning point of, yeah, I, I, I adore this whole thing. It's when we went to your first one. Yeah. Um, what have you got? Well, keeping with Breaking Bad, <laughs> because I've got an episode of Breaking Bad that is kind of my turning point, I guess, of yeah. just... I love this. Um, this is my hot take as well. Mm-hmm. This is the one episode that I think people don't like, actually. Oh, um, is, it, is, it, is it the one? Mm-hmm. I think it might be the one. Um, the Ryan Johnson episode, um, The Fly. Um, yeah. The episode where, you know, nothing happens. It's a bottle mm. episode. The plot doesn't move forward. Uh, a character doesn't die. There's no sort of... There's not, not even, there's not even like character growth. It's just kind of an episode of people being stuck in the one room and trying to do this very simple, very simple task. Um, and I think it's the perfect episode of TV. <laughs> um, there was, I remember when it started, I remember realizing like a good ten minutes in that we hadn't really left the lab yet. Um, yeah, and I realized. 
oh, we're doing this. <laughs> um, and we're killing a fly. And instantly, and I feel like I totally understand it if people are like turned off by that. I totally get that. But mm. there's something about a show being this much of a tune in every week to see what's going to happen next. And, you know, big things happening and a character that's really going, you know, from good to like really bad. Um, and then to have like an episode where people like come to sit down and wonder how is our character doing? How is Hank? I think he got shot like before this, this episode. Um, and it's just them in a lab trying to kill one fly. Um, and it's, I think it's great because it's also a bit like it's first time that it's became like a real full on comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of slapstick. And I feel like the show kind of, as it goes along for me, kind of, I still love the entire show, but I kind of thought it always lost the kind of dark comedy of the first season. Um, Mm. Because I always found the first season really, really funny (laughs) in a really weird way. Um, Yeah, I understand what you mean. It's like like a kind of that wackiness of it all. mm -hmm. Yeah, the situation of, you know, a teacher going Breaking Bad or whatever it is, even though he's kind of not really good at what he's doing. And then him having to talk to his wife and his family about how he feels about anything and all that. And I feel like there's something so like deadpan and kind of awkward about that whole situation that the latest seasons kind of just didn't do as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really happy to come back to a comedic episode. <laughs> um, I also love the fact that it's a perfect kind of microcosm on what Jesse and Walt are as a pairing. Mm. Um, because you get like Walter White trying to kill one fly and he starts out doing very smart things. He has like a lot of plans in mind how to do this. Um, a lot of things that don't require, you know, getting a stick in, like trying to hit it. It's this axle. He's like, uh, he thinks like ventilating the whole thing. And he's doing so many different things to kill this one fly. And then over the course, he starts like getting really annoyed. He gets more and more dangerous. Um, he starts doing more stupid things. So it's still like a smart way of doing it, but he still keeps on progressively he keeps on doing these weird things where he like stands like on one leg on top of the balcony and tries to kill the fly mm-hmm. um and i think that's perfect kind of well that's what walter white is he's a very smart man doing dumber things because he feels like he has to do it mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just, just an episode of constant conflict and it's it's jesse having his like being kind of human for the first time in a while an episode where he's kind of talking about uh the cancer and trying to look after walt um and I think it actually has my favourite kind of dialogue scene in the entire series. And there's so many great dialogue scenes, but I think that uh, the dialogue where, in the monologue, I guess, where uh, Walter White is kind of saying, going through his entire life and kind of being really depressed and sad about it all and kind of thinking, I think I've lived too long. That, like, that really hit me. Mm. <laughs> the yeah. way he kind of goes... I think after the birth of my second child and before this kind of the new season of plot developments and all that sort of stuff, it kind of says something like, if I died in between that and that, that would have been the perfect time to die. Um, And it's such a, and you think when he says it, he's saying it like so kind of, not like nonchalantly, but kind of just, he's seriously thinking about how, yeah, that would have worked out pretty great. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like a, a great moment and it, again it kind of it kind of um alludes to the future of the entire show where if the two people can't even kill one fly in cohesion with each other then how are we expecting them to you know have a happy ending where they're both good people at the end of this 
Um, yeah, it's yeah. I love this episode so much. <laughs> How do you feel about it? I I also knew going into like the whole the whole show before I watched it, this episode was one that people had mixed feelings on. Mm-hmm. I personally really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess one of the key things that probably was in, in our favour because, like you said, I think we both watched it after after the fact. Yeah. Um, is that we were able to just quickly go on to the next episode regardless of whether we liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'd have waited a week for that, <laughs> maybe I'd have felt a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I genuinely feel like it's it's an episode where any any lesser writing team, and it would be just fill, pointless filler. Yeah. But I feel, given the quality that um, Vince Gilligan and, and the rest of the uh, Peter Gould and the rest of the writing team have and have displayed on on the two Breaking Bad shows. They're just able to make something of it, mm-hmm. and to make something of it that is still relevant. And I I do kind of love when you just get an episode in the middle of of, of a series where it's just two two or three characters just doing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like no, not necessarily something massive for the sake of the plot, just to see them interact. Mm-hmm. I love those episodes, and I, I I kind of love the fly episode because of that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not something that always works. There are a lot of shows. I mean, look at the if you look at the recent episodes for Breaking Bad that have been released, the last mm-hmm. sort of few that are supposed to be this mini in between. Some of them are dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um. But when it's done right, like it is with with the, the fly, it just it just makes the it just it add, helps add like a, a foundation or another layer to the to the characters' relationship and their growth in a season. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it can be. I think it's often underrated that yeah. aspect. Yeah, I think it's it's one that kind of in the heat of the moment of you know a season concluding and a weekly kind of release schedule. I think it got lost within the stuff of like, well, what happened in season season three? Well, all these big things, and oh yeah, they kind of killed the fly, but not really. Anyway, so they did this as well, <laughs> um, and I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. But I think, especially like being season three, it kind of lands in like the kind of the midpoint of the entire show, um, mm. to a certain extent, not really, but it kind of is, and it's kind of one of those things of like. Just for a moment, let us break down the entire plot. Let's just leave that all, all to the wayside and concentrate on our two leads and kind of just have a moment where we're like, why are these people so linked to each other and why are they not good for each other mm. <laughs> um, for a full hour? Um, uh, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great. Do you want to move on to yours? I can do my next one. Um, so my, my, my next one... I have just mentioned it, but it is an episode of The Walking Dead. Mm. And so this is kind of an unusual one. I'm not necessarily saying this is my favourite episode from the show. Um, but it is the the pilot. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk about this because it is probably, um, and I've given we've already talked about Breaking Bad, it is probably one of the best pilots ever. Mm-hmm. If not the Primarily because it's just 
it's, it's difficult to explain in that for me it does what no other zombie related thing has done and that mm. is absolutely nailed the start of the apocalypse <laughs> right like I always for me for me now especially having having seen like this episode it's whenever that there's a, like a zombie type film or something something similar it doesn't necessarily have to be have to be zombies but something apocalypse like like this mm-hmm. um the only other thing that maybe comes close is the start of the of the last of us <laughs> yeah um but for, it just it means that whenever I watch anything else I just think it's this all right, but it's not Walking Dead. It's not that pilot. Mainly because one of the most frustrating little periods in any zombie type film is that section where the characters don't know what's going on, but you do. Mm, yeah. It can be really frustrating, especially if you know it takes them in a film, especially if it takes them half an hour to figure out. You have to hit them in the head. <laughs> yeah. Like. Whenever it happens at the start where people are just shooting at the zombies and you're sat there thinking, for the love of God, just somebody please accidentally hit them in the head so we don't have to go through this much longer. Because We've the police will just the be dead. there like, just, just unloading the whole clip, hitting them in the stomach, hitting them in the leg. Hmm. And you just think, why, why, I, we, we know, we know what's going on. We don't need, to, we don't need to be on this 40 minute learning period. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Walking Dead is able to do it because, mainly because you technically miss the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, so the episode starts with uh, Rick getting shot and then waking up in hospital bed and everything's kicked off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and within 20 minutes, all, all that happens is he meets somebody and the person, Morgan, who he meets, just simply tells him you've got to kill him in the head. Right. And it's done. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Hit him in the head. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no messing about. Um, but aside from that, it's probably when the show, because you know, depending on who you ask, there, there are mixed thoughts on the show. Um, a lot of people, or some people, um, you could ask, and they'll, they'll tell you that from the pilot, everything's downhill afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd, I'd personally disagree with that, but I can see why people would think that. Um. And it, it, it especially the, the first season as a whole, but especially this first the pilot episode, it probably has the best horror the show has. Mm, right. Um, in that our main character was shot in the normal world <laughs> and wakes up in uh, he, he wakes up in in a, in a hospital gown in the hospital bed. There's like a I think one of the main things is that there's a there's a bowl of dead flowers mm-hmm. just next to him. Yeah. And he, as he slowly gets up and he walks about the hospital and there's the hospital's empty, it's been completely ravaged, the light fixtures are hanging off the hanging from the ceiling, there's blood smeared across all the walls. <laughs> and he comes comes to a, a pair of double doors in the hospital. Um I can't remember what it says on the doors. I'm gonna have to Google it. Um, <laughs> Zombies are here, hit him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I can't believe I just Googled that. What on the doors? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I've just got a picture of double doors in a hospital that's come up. Um, <laughs> hospital. Is it? Rick, it's all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it says, the door says, um, don't open dead inside. 
Oh, okay. Um, also, is... it's written in a really weird way. In that uh, there's two double doors, and on the left door it says "Don't" and then "Open" below it, and then on the other side it says "Dead" inside. So initially, I read it as "Don't dead open inside." <laughs> <laughs> but, Don't um, dead. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, um, and it, it's something that gets revisited in one of the later episodes, like a, quite a way along the line because because of reasons. They go back. Um, not 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 necessarily. It, it, it's a vision. Oh, okay, right. Um, and to, to, to avoid spoilers, though, I won't, I won't go any further. But um, but yeah, and so you have this him what he's literally walking through this hospital in just his hospital gown and a bandage. So he's got nothing else on. I know he's got his boxers on, sorry. He's got his boxer shorts. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, and he's just walking through and it's just destroyed. And he goes outside the hospital. And there's, there's no dialogue at this point at all because he's not met anyone yet. Mm-hmm. It's just this bloke coming out of a hospital and there's nobody around. And he goes outside and there's loads of bodies strewn across the floor. Um, yeah, and it's... Um, and it also ends... The pilot just ends really well with him running into a horde of zombies. His horse gets eaten. And it ends up inside a tank. <laughs> I have seen the tank bit because I've heard about um, some sort of thing where the the soldier in the tank was meant to be some sort of spin-off show type mm. idea. Yeah, the soldier uh, in the tank's um, uh, Sam Whitwer. Yeah, the Darth Maul, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's meant to be a spin-off, but um, they poo-pooed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody... I, I thought... I just thought it sounded really cool because I heard that it was like the end of the show was meant to be we get to the point where that soldier busted the grenade on the on the on the tank or whatever it is and kind mm. of just dies there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, that grenade becomes uh, quite an important part of the show. It saves them later on. Oh, does it? Oh. Yeah, it's like um, they they need to escape in the finale. They need to escape a building that's going to blow up. Um, so they they use the grenade to escape. Um, but yeah, um, so the, I, I can't remember the full story, but um, basically, AMC questionable. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they have quite they have quite a long legacy of being a questionable TV studio. Yeah, because I heard I heard Sam, what's his name again? <laughs> Whitwer. Yeah, well, I heard him talk about it, and the way he phrased it at the end was very much kind of. But the producers were like, you know, idiots about it. <laughs> mm. So it seemed like a, a not good situation. Yeah, because the, the guy that created, or didn't, didn't create, because it's based on a comic book, the guy that sort of helped do the adaptation and develop it is Frank Darabond, who um, I didn't quite realise this when I first started watching. He um, he directed uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> and The Green Mile and loads of other very acclaimed films. The Mist. Do The Mist. I think so, yeah. Oh, uh, with Thomas Jane, I'm going to shoot some people in a, a shopping <laughs> centre. Yeah, that movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, missed, where the the parentheses, the parentheses should be um, missed. We're in this shop and there's a load of mist. <laughs> How to get our few supplies. Um, yeah, um, so he initially developed it, but then there were problems in the second season, he left, and then I'm pretty sure that spin-off with Sam Whitmer died. After he left. Right. Um, and again, as many would say, it wasn't the only thing that died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Quality. Um, yeah. The 
yeah, basically, there, there, there's a notable shift after Frank Darabon leaves. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, um, for me, one of the one of the like a legendary episode of a TV show. While there are other episodes from The Walking Dead that I also really like, and probably more favorite, more of a favorite for me, you can't deny sort of the importance and the the brilliance of The Walking Dead's pilot. Mm, yeah, I often hear it be like top ten pilots or like the likes of Lost and all those other things. Mm, yeah, it deserves to be up there. Yeah, do you want to go into your next one? Uh, yeah. Um, so my next one is. From somewhat maybe my favorite show, um, The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the episode called "The Test Dream." Um, it's really hard to describe the the way this episode kind of gets started and how it why it is the way it is because um, it's all it's pretty much all visual. Um, Whereabouts is it in the show? Sorry, what? Whereabouts is it in the show? I think it's season season three. I think, maybe, I think. Um, um, uh, might be wrong about that, but it's an episode where we spend almost the entire running time in a dream with Tony Soprano, um, and it is probably like the best representation of a dream that I've ever seen. I <laughs> know um, oh, it's season five. Um, season five. Yeah, I forget that. Sopranos has like more than five seasons, five seasons because everyone still has five seasons. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, uh, it's just Tony Soprano. It's his normal day to day life. It's not really like a remarkable kind of a plot episode happens or anything like that. It's kind of just he goes to a hotel to sleep with, sleep with a prostitute, as he does, and he is ignoring his wife. Um, he has kind of got this struggle going on at this time in the plot where. He kind of, by the nature of his kind of uh, situation, has to kill uh, his cousin, uh, played by Steve Buscemi. And it's kind of this hard thing for him to do because, number one, he's his cousin, but also because he has this weird kind of repressed memory where the reason that his cousin went to prison for like 20 years was because on the day that he was meant to do the job that he was meant to do, like a legal job that he was meant to do, um, Tony Soprano had a panic attack <laughs> from his mom, like being really mean to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story he tells everyone is that he got like he got you know hit by someone or there was some sort of uh, cop or something like that like got him before he could get to the actual job. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of this again, kind of this, like discon- deconstruction kind of of his projection of like his identity, which doesn't really actually exist. Um, but he goes into his, he goes to bed and he just kind of goes to, into a dream. And I think what made me love this episode so much is because I kind of think dreams are kind of, in the way they're represented in TV and film, can kind of become um, a bit cliche. There's kind of a, there's kind of a, like a, either, number one, you either go really meaningful with it, like everything means something and there's all sorts of like allegories and kind of subtext to it. Mm-hmm. Or you either go really big and like people are floating on marshmallows and all this sort of random things, um, and I think <laughs> the Sopranos really find it, and David Chase, the creator, really find it a great kind of midpoint between that, um, where it's it is weird. It's not marshmallows and people flying on toast or whatever it is. It's 
it's weird in a kind of a sinister kind of what is happening kind of like kind of um I think one in more in particular really because it's probably the first moment that like something really weird happens um other than the editing and kind of the sound design um it's a moment where Tony's wife in the dream says oh, I used to be getting dressed why aren't you dressed and then Tony in his uh, like you know his vest and boxes and dressing gown he points towards the tv that's next to him and in the tv is him getting dressed and then when the camera comes like pulls back it's him dressed like in the actual outside the tv and it's filled with like those weird moments and it's also filled with something i really feel isn't represented enough in dreams where really terrible things are treated really kind of like nonchalantly like there's this moment where uh tony meets um his daughter's boyfriend's parents for the first time and they're trying to make a good person because they're getting married and obviously being a mafia boss is kind of like he has to keep it secret and all these other things and the show has a lot of tension around keeping it secret um there's this great moment where they sit down to dinner and the family kind of mentions to tony and his wife that oh and don't worry about the mafia boss thing we're totally fine with that and then Tony's wife like looks towards him and kind of goes, "Oh, well, that's great, Tony, isn't it?" This is drinks a drink and it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like I love that in dreams where you kind of get the sense that something is wrong, but everyone seems fine. It's like yeah. yes, we're fine. Um, also, a great moment that plays in the fact that we, as viewers of TV or movies, try to ignore the fact that we're watching actors. Um, this is really great moment, and it's in the same kind of situation with the dinner table and the the family meeting the other family kind of thing. Um where the the wife, the not like the 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 mother of <laughs> Toy Soprano's daughter's husband, um mm-hmm. <laughs> is the mother in law, I guess. Um yeah. is is there and she's she's played by Annette Benning. She is being a lot of things. I guess I guess in popular like kind of recently terms she's been in, in Captain Marvel. Um mm-hmm has the hive mind thing i think as people <laughs> um, yeah yeah she was in it um <laughs> and instantly like once i saw her i was like oh my god is that annette benning in sopranos <laughs> a character who's not in the tv show like, an actress who's not in a tv show at all aside from this one scene yeah um and i'm thinking the entire way through how did they get annette benning to come in for a dream sequence um <laughs> and then at one point in episode um, Tony kind of look, like goes behind the table, like behind as everyone is talking, looks towards Annette Benning and says, "Like, hey, hey, you're Annette Benning, aren't you?" And she goes, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> and then that's just it. <laughs> we don't ever bring it up again. It's totally fine. It's Annette Benning. She's in a dream, um, and I think it's. I just love it so much because it it kind of makes you think it before it actually happens. Um, yeah, and also there's this great moment. And I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't know what his voice his voice sounded like. But I found out later that one of the first things that happens is Tony wakes up and he goes to his, his ringing phone and he gets told by someone in the show that had died previously that was in the bed with him. Um, uh, he gets told something like, "You need to go. You need to answer that phone because you, you need to ask God what to do." And he goes over to the phone. And he's like panicking and having like a Tony Soprano kind of what the fuck's going on. Um, and he goes, he goes to the phone and the the writer, like, creator of the show is on the phone talking to him, uh, <laughs> David Chase. And because, you know, in the show, he's, Tony Soprano is a fictional character. He's written by a man who tells him a lot of times to kill people. And 
in a TV episode, the dream, the dream test, he he answers the phone to David Chase, the creator of the TV show, and he says, "I don't know, just uh, Tony, just kill someone." <laughs> and, he, and Tony, Tony is bound to this idea that he has to kill someone now because the creator of the show told him to tell, told him to do this, mm-hmm. um, and it's. God, and then it goes from that to having all these Godfather references and they get a, a gun from the bathroom and there's, you know, people kill each other with, like, with finger guns. Like, it's not, like, there's no real gun there, but, like, they kind of do that, like, make your hand, make your, a gun out of your hand and just... Yeah, like, two shoot. fingers and your thumbs pointing upwards. Yeah, yeah, that, they just do that in the show, in, like, the last half of it. Um, and then, like, there's this just great callback as well where I forget what the name is of this, like figure in the, in the, um uh but king king Midas king leonite something he, everything he, tu- he touches turns to gold that guy My, um, Midas yeah that guy yeah mm-hmm. um there's this great episode before this where in the therapy session Tony's like I like the opposite of that whatever I turn to turn to shit <laughs> <laughs> and then in this was episode he tries to kill his football courts for being mean to him when he was a kid and the bullets kind of just turn to actual shit in his hands. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. And it's this great moment where, again, I didn't really even pick up on it when I was watching it because I was like, oh, that's just weird that it's turning. It's kind of just nothing in his hands. It's very much a dream thing that happened. But then I was like, oh, yeah, that is a fear that he has expressed before, like very explicitly in a therapy scene. Um, and, yeah, it's just great. And it's just one frame that I love. And it's just a great moment where... And it just has meaning meaning within the show because the horse is in the show before, but Tony Soprano goes into his living room on a big horse <laughs> and he just kind of rides into it. And it's one, again, it's a great episode and it's great for all these like, really enthralling, engrossing reasons. But it, for that moment, I couldn't help but do that thing where you imagine, what was filming that like? Because <laughs> like, it's a real house and they spend, the cast and the crew spend so much time in the house filming things that one day they kind of go, we need to get a horse in here, <laughs> and yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great episode. And I think it's it, it's perfect. Yeah, oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Yeah, <sighs> that's all I have to say about that. Okay, okay. Um, shall I move on to another one of mine? Yeah. Um. So I was I was always bound to get this in at some point. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm talking. I'm going to talk about an episode from Fringe. Oh, here we go, here we go. Here we go, I'm winding up for this. So I've been watching it recently, absolutely love it. Coming towards the end of the... I'm coming towards I'm the start of the final season. I'm a bit emotional, I don't want it to end. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as, as I sort of mentioned it before, it's sort of... It's it's a show that starts off similar to The X-Files. Mm-hmm. And then it's, um, you know, it's a 20-episode it's a season from, from for four of the five seasons. And, you know, a lot of it's sort of case-by-case stuff. Um, it centers on sort of three characters. You have the FBI agent, Olivia, who is arguably my favourite protagonist ever now. <laughs> um, but you also have these other two brilliant characters in that you have Walter, who is a, a scientist who's been in a mental hospital for about 30 years, mm-hmm. and Walter's son, who the FBI agent, Olivia, needed to get Walter out of the, uh, out of the mental hospital to sign him out. So they become a little team and and they bond gradually. Um, and it's a show that changes a lot as the seasons go by. As as you'll be able to attest to people listening, 
I have messaged you a lot, a lot on on evenings to tell you that this show is getting mental. <laughs> um, it's a show that just keeps swinging for the fences <laughs> and ups and mo. In fact, I'd say all the time, just just hits it. it it's absolutely brilliant in terms of how bizarre the show can get. And there are several points where you think, surely, surely this is it. Surely we've reached maximum maximum ambition and then they just do something else and it's no no we can go further mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it, it sort of almost ends up where you have this first season which you know it's sort of individual case by case thing of sort of weird things relating to this this what they call a pattern um and it's it's it looks normal compared to the later ones mm-hmm. um and so to, to build up to the, the episode that I'm talking about, the episode in season two, it's sort of two thirds of the way, and it's an episode called Peter, um, who is the name of the son. Um, I, I, I should mention this, the son's about thirty. It's, it's, not, <laughs> right. it's not a small child, um, and as, as there is also another episode I'd like to mention, which follows on from this brilliantly. But um, at the end of the first season. Um, a reveal is made. <laughs> right. Like a big, in typical J.J. Abrams kind of, we're opening this mystery box now. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll sort of deal with it later, but there's like a big game-changing thing that's revealed in that it's revealed that Walter, the scientist, had done something over 30 years ago, about 30 years ago, mm-hmm. that has ultimately meant that everything that's happening, all the weird things that are happening are happening. Right. Every, every, okay. Everything can be can be pointed back to this one starting point, <laughs> and it's this it's sort of this this big secret. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and sort of keep as, as few spoilers out of it as possible because it's best for anybody to just experience it at the time. And I wouldn't want to take that away from anyone. Um, so there's, there's this big thing that he did a long time ago, and it's something that he's got guilt for. And one of the main things throughout the entire show is that he constantly has the guilt for the things that he's done. But another aspect for him and Peter is this father-son thing where they're trying to reconnect and they're trying to build this relationship. But this big thing that Walter did all these years ago, also it sort of completely shakes this relationship. It's something that completely changes it and completely undercuts, not undercuts, it just adds a whole new dimension because Peter isn't aware of this big thing that happened. And he really should be. (laughs) (laughs) My um, mind is racing what this could be. <laughs> <laughs> and and so um this this Peter episode comes after comes the episode after Olivia finds out about this secret and finds out all the things and that how Walter has has effectively lied to Peter for his entire life. Right. Um and what you have is an ep- in this episode called Peter, it's it's a flashback episode. But it is absolutely brutal. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so emotional. It features some pretty decent uh, makeup on John Noble, who plays Walter, because obviously it's a flashback to when he was when younger. He was, when he'd been younger, um, and you have this really because the the entire episode is this flashback. It's of there's a scene at the beginning which is Walter explaining to Olivia how it all happened, and an episode at the end. Um, and so you have this 
this massive flashback episode where it's just full full of emotion as to why he did this thing. And like I said, it completely changed a lot of the relationships and it's the oh shit moment <laughs> where you realise this show isn't good anymore. This is great. Yeah. This is honestly, <laughs> it, is, it is a crime this show isn't as understood. Or, uh, not not, not so understood, but isn't as well known as it is because this episode is god tier stuff. Yeah, because I haven't, uh, before you like watched it and started talk, telling me about uh, things going on, I had never heard this show at all. Mm, it's and it's an absolute crime, <laughs> honestly. Is <laughs> more people should be aware of this. Um, so you have this, this episode, and then you have another one later, which I think I posted on the Instagram story about. It's an episode called White Tulip, and it's another example of one of this show's other many strengths is that. It is the master of the Monster of the Week formula. I've (laughs) never seen it done this well before, in that you have an individual case, and it fits so brilliantly within the whole overall arc. Um, Especially when you get to season two. Every single one moves the plot forward. The the, the general overarching plot. Um, It's absolutely wonderfully done. Um, another reason why it's criminally underrated, people should look at this before. And the, the example of this is this episode called White Tulip. So it has... Um, Olivia has sort of accepted the fact that she can't tell Peter this secret, mainly because she doesn't want to... She doesn't want to uh, ruin the relationship between the two of them. Um, there are various reasons why. And so she accepts that it has to be Walter that has to tell him. So it's this weird time travel episode, and the best way I can explain it is, you know, in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a Peter Capaldi episode where he's like stuck in a time loop. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. has to punch a, a diamond, like a, a wall of diamonds through, and he has to do it over several millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's similar to that in that it's sort of like a time travel based. It stars Peter Weller. Oh, right, yeah. Robocop. Another thing they showed us brilliantly is that if it ever has a guest star, like, the guest star's role ultimately kind of relates to what they're famous for. Oh, really? Is like he a the, robot? <laughs> only, only sort of loosely in that this Peter Weller is a guy who has physically changed his body with science. Mm, okay. There's a later episode um, with Christopher Lloyd, which involves time travel. <laughs> right. Like a little bit, a little bit of time travel, and there's another one that has Sean Ashmore in it, who is um, Ice Ice Man, Ice Boy. Oh, <laughs> X Men um, films. Yeah, yeah, Ice Man. Ice Man, um, and it it loosely involves somebody being frozen in something. <laughs> anyway, um, so this is, is this time travel episode, and the the point of the episode is that Walter trying to write this letter to Peter to explain this thing that's happened. And um, Peter Weller's character is trying to augment his body to go back in time to save his wife. Um, um, there are various things that happen. Time gets reset several times. Um, and and you have to... There is, again, I don't, I don't thoroughly want, want, to, want, to, want to spoil it for people because it is best experienced with, without that much knowledge. But it centres on the fact that Walter tries to talk this guy down by saying um, there are consequences to messing with science like this. 
um, and that I, I, I know this price. And every day I look for forgiveness in the form of a white tulip. Mm. Um, and the, the final scenes of the episode um, absolutely broke me. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that's these are sort of the episodes where I, I thoroughly enjoyed the show up to this point. Throughout the entirety of season one, and 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 season two up to that point, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But this was the moment where I was like, yes, <laughs> this is gen. I can I can genuinely claim this is one of the best sci-fi shows ever made. And I do uphold that. I think for me, having seen. Based off the things that I've seen, this is probably the best sci-fi show I've ever seen. Ooh. Oh, my God. That is a bold claim there. Right now. We are going there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going big. Yeah. It sounds like it's a show that kind of combines kind of, you know, like Monster of the Week with, like, actual thematic reasoning. Like, it seems like the they picked their villain of the week to be, like, uh, I guess, in tune with the character arcs. Mm. Oh, 100%. Definitely. There are there are a lot lot of a lot of cases like that in that they fit really well with with what that episode wants to say. Um, even so much they have, I've I've done a little bit of reading on this, but the when the show would have would cut to adverts or cut to whatever, it shows like a glyph a, a, a glyph a hieroglyphic glyph thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently they have meaning that represent the theme of the episode. Oh, okay. I haven't. Like, but when you put them all together, I haven't. I haven't done much research in that because I'm avoiding spoilers. But um, but yeah, and each each episode does have a like a really strong theme. Every now and then there is the odd episode which is kind of isn't this fun, which are equally great. But um, when you have these ones that really feed into the overall narrative, um, I mean, th- there's one in season four that I, I've sort of recently watched, which is it's really quite on the nose. But it's just brilliant in that, <laughs> in that everything just feels like it fits together. Everything feels purposeful. It's not just an episode for an episode's sake. Uh, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. Oh. God, I have to watch the show. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> God, I have to get to it. <laughs> I can't recommend it enough. Um, have you got another one you want to move on to? Uh, yeah. Um... Okay, so I think I'm going to go for go for one notch. I'm surprised I haven't really mentioned um, in terms of TV shows because it's definitely one of my favorites, and I can't believe I've never you know brought it up. Um, but an episode of Barry uh, called Ronnie slash Lily. Um, Barry, Barry is anywhere... Bill Hader. Yeah, yeah, it's Barry. Uh, it's about a guy, an, an assassin who, under a domino effect of uh, choices kind of becomes and wants to become an actor um, it's kind of a comedic uh, concept kind of TV show um, it, whenever I think about the concept I always think about those um, writing ex- exercises where people say you know think of a premise and add a, add a twist to it mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what it sounds like to me um, yeah. and it's really perfect and I think it's across the board a great show Um and, but there's one episode in particular that made me really love it. I think it's in season two, um, uh, called Ronnie Slash Lily. And it's um, a half an hour episode long fight scene um, in which there are characters talking, stuff like that. There is definitely, you know, plot developments. But at the same time, it's an episode where 
is very much similar to, I guess, not really, but kind of similar to The Fly in the sense that it's one situation for one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, essentially, Barry has to kill has to kill someone and he has to go into his house and kill him where he expects, he'll, he expects that he'll be. Um, but the thing is, the show is so good at making these things really awkward <laughs> um, and kind of oddly not um and it's entertaining in the normal sense of you know uh action spectacle it's more kind of just awkwardly hilarious um and it's mm-hmm. the visual style is kind of it's one of those things where they set the playing field before they start having the actual fight um and it's just like it's like a, a good like two three minutes of just no dialogue no characters just cameras going over the house and kind of into the kitchen and past the bedroom and into the into the other rooms and all these other things and it kind of just lets you know we're going to be in this house <laughs> going to be here for a while um and it starts out and it's all like a visual kind of showing sort of telling where uh barry goes in to kill this guy and <laughs> the fight this kind of thing breaks out where the guy seems willing to be okay to die he seems kind of like okay i'm fine with being killed um and he walks into his this new room that I haven't seen before and it's an amazing shot where it kind of we see Barry's face like under a mask and he's kind of looking towards what we just opened into and we kind of like what's the room what's happening in this room mm-hmm. and we look to the room and so it's a trophy room of like a million karate tournaments and a million <laughs> judo tournaments and like so many army things as well and he's like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just great great episode of just really awkward action where the camera doesn't really follow the action like it's all very uh locked to a tripod kind of just slowly moving about the area as the characters kind of push each other outside of the frame um and we don't really follow the fight we kind of just more or less kind of follow the fight it's kind of like we kind of like it kind of feels like we're I don't know. It feels like we're judging the fight and not really interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. Whilst the characters are at some points doing impressive choreography and kind of impressive kind of like roundhouse kicks and all these sort of things. But it's really consequential and really awkward fumbling violence in a tense that it's for the most part there's two people kind of... You know when you're watching a boxing, a boxing match you're kind of like, oh, they punch but then they just hug for like two seconds and <laughs> yeah. break away. It's kind of like that, but kind of more hugging. <laughs> um, and it's just really awkward. And at the same time, it gets really consequential where it's not just, you know, violence for the sake of a beat in the action. It's more like this will determine how this entire thing goes because the entire kind of fight somewhat ends because Barry hits in the, in the windpipe in a pretty good angle, I guess. And kind of, it kind of knocks the guy out for a very long time in the episode that we don't mm-hmm. see him until... Much later, which I'll get to. But, um, and then from this, out of nowhere, the supposed child of this man who's meant to kill comes in and she is, she's like an actual superhuman. (laughs) Um, It's incredible because she's clearly like on wires um, and doing a lot of flips that she can't actually do. Um, But the show, again, treats it so deadpan seriously and Barry's having the reaction that we're having of what is this? Because otherwise the show is not really 
heightened in that sense. It's more just dramatic comedy, not really dramatic, you know, like people doing backflips and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get Barry fighting this this feral kind of animal kid who's like biting his ear off and stuff like that. Um, and eventually we do get a little break from this when they finally escape and uh, Barry finally escapes and he gets into a car with his kind of hitman mentor character person who's kind of like a father but kind of a terrible father because he makes him kill people. But um, they go to the supermarket and they have this really great interaction in ways. It's like <laughs> they keep on talking about other things aside from the fact that Barry's clearly dying because he's got his ear ripped off. Um, and he kind of, and then later on, um, not much later on, but they go into the supermarket and it's just Barry in the supermarket and he's buying antibiotics for his ear and all these other things. And there's this great moment where he looks over to his left before the camera even sees what's, sees what's happening in the left. And we see his reaction and Bill Hader has a great ability for making really great reaction faces. Um, because his eyes like go from like drowsy, tired and beaten up to full on awake like, panic. And the guy who we thought was killed from like the windpipe thing is there in the same supermarket by chance buying similar antibi- antibiotics, stuff like that. And in the middle of the shop, they just start continuing the fight that they stopped like half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it kind of builds and builds and there's more and more kind of carnage and more and more fumbling around and genuine consequences people like break their hands and stuff like that um and then the hitman mentor character uh attempts to get out of there and he reverses into a police car um which then leads to a full-on kind of police versus barry and his hitman mentor kind of thing um which then also leads to an amazing continuation of that fight and at the end oh but i think just before this actually um the feral kid is in the car with them um and he like bites the, the hitman's mentor character, um, his ear off as well. So yeah, it's not ear as well. Um, and <laughs> this is a great moment where at the end of the episode, at the end, of, I think literally the last shot might be, um, the feral kid just kind of runs off in the into the distance, and Barry kind of looks towards his mentor character, and he kind of has this moment of what what just happened, and then the show just this cuts the credits, <laughs> and that's the entire episode. It's just. It's just mad, purely visual, very rarely explained action that is not really exciting, but more just hilariously unique. Um, and the show doesn't really do that very often. It is, it is, like I said, like a dramatic comedy show, but for the most part, it's very much Hitman. It, the Hitman aspect is very much uh, happens every once, every two episodes, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the entire. It kind of feels like a. It's kind of like a criticism, but it's not. It feels like another attacked on thing, because the character is so anti being that person. Um, mm-hmm. So for the first time in the show, having an episode entirely dedicated to him being a hitman and him being such a terrible hitman <laughs> at the same time as have to fight a feral feral kid, and mm-hmm. all these like domino effect kind of situations, it's. A perfect episode, <laughs> um, and it rivals like climatic, climatic fight scenes and all the other, you know, big fight scenes that we see in, in cinema and stuff like that because it's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really want people to watch this show because it's it's so good. <laughs>
Yeah. I'll endeavour to watch it. I know you sent <laughs> a review for the for the Shami. Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I watched it a while ago, but I just totally forgot to like write anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll I'll watch out for this. If it's on a streaming uh, service, I'll watch it. Hmm. I think it's on Prime, maybe. Is it? Oh, that's good. I'll watch it then. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for one. <laughs> yeah. To watch. <laughs> But yeah, that's my other pick. Um, yeah, so should I, should I do another one? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I have, this is my last one, I think. Hello? Hello? Hi, right, good, good, you're there. <laughs> I, think it's, um, I think this is my uh, my last one. Okay, right. Um, it's one I watched a little while ago. Um, and it is uh, Band of Brothers. Oh, okay. Have you seen this? I've heard of it, but I never know what it is really. <laughs> it's um, it's a World War Two thing. It's um, set during World War Two. It's famously it's like um, produced by Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Oh, okay. Um, and it is it's very well regarded. It's often regarded as one of the the best of war depictions. In 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 drama, it's um, it's probably. I also think I might be wrong about this. Um, this alongside. The Sopranos is probably one of the first big things that HBO had success with, like in sort of the modern era. Because there's this, the Sopranos, and um, it's The Wire, HBO as well. Yeah, I'm watching The Wire right now. <laughs> what do you, you think of it? I really like it. It's it starts out quite plot heavy, um, but it, it is getting more character centric. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that on myself. It's got Lance Reddick in, hasn't it? I think. Yeah, it does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, so this is sort of similar era to like 2001. It's a miniseries, but it's also um, a documentary in a way because it's based on real events. It's based on the testimony of um, real um, people that fought, the actual like people that they're depicting. Um, it's also a show that has loads of famous actors in it. Oh, really? I mean loads. Because it's 2001, <laughs> it has loads of actors that aren't actually famous at that point, but will be. Um, for example, there's Michael Fassbender's in, in a few. What? Um, oh, he, he's, 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 he's in like a, he's in quite a few according to the, the credits. But mm-hmm. he's in there and he has like a fairly minor role. Mm-hmm. Um, James McAvoy's in one episode. Please say it's the entire X-Men cast. <laughs> no, unfortunately it's not. You have Dominic Cooper makes an appearance. Oh. Um, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon? He's <laughs> a soldier in one of the episodes. I'm just going through now. James McAvoy. Um, Andrew Scott. Oh. Um, there, what's, um, what's the other one? Um, uh, Tom Hardy. Jesus Christ. It's just like young, skinny Tom Hardy as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's young, young thin Tom Hardy. Um, there's various other ones. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's brother. <laughs> Donnie Donny Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg, isn't it? He's, he's quite an important character as well. Oh, really? Um, perhaps you know, the, the main sort of famous one, the lead character is uh, Damien Lewis. Oh, okay. You know, and also um, another major character is the guy that's now taken over as Flash's dad. Yeah, the new Ron, guy. Ron Livingston. He's right. quite an important character in it. Um, also, you have uh, Walking Dead guy, Michael Kudlitz. 
And Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> I love that guy's name. Dexter Fletcher. Um, a f- oh, also, a final one. Um, what's his name? Um, what's got his name? Um, Ross in Friends. Oh, David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer, yes, that's it. It's also got a fringe cast member in it as well. Um, <laughs> Kirk Acevedo. Um, but yeah, sorry, I've got distracted by reading out the cast of it. I'm sorry. It's a great cast. Um, but yeah, it's it's, a, it's a, one of the other unmarkable things that I, I really enjoyed about it is that it has like, it, at the start of each episode, it has the testimony of the, the real the real version of these characters, the real the real veterans. Um, but it doesn't tell you which ones they are. Oh, okay. So that there's the fact that they're, it doesn't tell you until the end. Like, well, the very final episode has a load of credits that come up and tells you which of the, the characters in the show re- corresponds with each of the, the, the real veterans, which is something I also really liked about, like a, a good touch they had to it. But the point of this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> the episode where it becomes great, and there are a lot of good episodes, um, it you might if you're watching it for the first time. It also has like a kind of slow start. Mm-hmm. Like the entirety of the first episode is this um, battalion's training, mm-hmm. um, and then as they gradually sort of go through uh, the various la- landings and various famous events in World War Two, but there is um, episode the I mean, is the let me count down to so one, two, three, four, five, six. The seventh episode called the breaking point um um and so the episode that came before it as well also counts towards this and it it's a recount of um a famous battle in world war ii called the battle of the bastogne mm-hmm. um which is as far as i'm aware it's, it's a quite a, a famous um and uh, historically important battle um and it's during the winter and they're in this forest and there's the snow everywhere and it is the most brutal episode of the show by far. Oh. There is, it's full on, like the, the US Army are in, in, entrenched in, in the forest line and they have to, they have to sort of survive the winter as there are various attacks coming through. And it is so br- brutally done in that there are a lot of characters that die throughout the, um, throughout the show. But, You've spent this so much time with these these um, real people, mm-hmm. essentially, and you sort of getting getting to know them, and you have this, you have this episode where so many of them get brutally injured, mm-hmm. and some of the, some of them even get brutally killed, and the whole point is that they they are so down in the dumps. They've been in they've been in this forest in the winter for months. They are at their wits' end, absolutely losing it. Losing it. The leader of the battalion, because um, Damien Lewis' character uh, Winters gets promoted earlier on, so he's no longer in charge of the company. And the guy they bring in to replace him um, is, by all by what they, they their accounts, a bit of a disaster. <laughs> right. And so various characters get they get limbs blown off, and so several of them die. But it's just so brutally well constructed, and it's just so intense. The full thing. And the sense when it's sort of because they get bombarded by a load of shells at one point, like um, mortar mortar shells, 
and sort of the, when it's over, there's just such an intense, intense relief. <laughs> like, there are several points where they're just sort of they have to run through uh, where where the air is getting mortared, and eventually they have to sort of just um, just huddle in the bunkers, and it's just absolutely brutal. Um, there's one point where um, the two soldiers are trying one one soldier gets hit and his leg gets blown off and he's trying and another soldier that's with him is trying to drag him and these these are two established characters in the show and the other one's trying to drag him towards the bunker and then they get hit by another mortar thing and the guy that was dragging him then gets his leg blown off Jesus and it's just it's just disaster after disaster for them and it's just such a brutal thing where you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, this, this is the really emotional, really effective war drama. And then you get to this episode and it is brutal. And you just constantly throughout the episode, you're thinking, oh, holy shit. <laughs> and then you sort of, at the end, it sort of sinks in, this actually happened. Mm, yeah. And it's just, it's just so sobering. But yeah, it's, it's Did, a brilliant show. Did Spielberg direct any of these episodes? I don't think he did. Let me oh, have a okay. look. Um, let me have a look. I, know, I would assume that he directs anything he's part of. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't, he didn't direct any of them. Oh, okay. Um, as far as I'm aware... Um, wait, I know that name. Where's that name? Graham Yost. He's, he wrote something. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wrote a diary entry. <laughs> he wrote... Um, looking through now Band of Brothers I'm sure he wrote something else it's a name I know it's a name I know um, I don't think I do <laughs> Yost uh, Sneaky Pete and Justified um, uh, there's also this programme also has a sister programme called The Pacific which, I've heard that as well yeah as you can imagine is the same but in The Pacific Wow. Um, the Pacific version is um it's also narrated by Tom Hanks though. This one isn't. I feel like everything should be narrated by Tom Hanks. Yeah, everything will be so much more interesting. <laughs> I want I want to see him narrate a, a British soap drama. Yeah. <laughs> that would elevate it so much. Imagine uh, Tom Hanks narrating pulp fiction. <laughs> <laughs> this is John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Here's Tom. Here's Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, I love Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great man. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's Bruce Willis back when he cared. <laughs> back when he gave a shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that. That's me. That's me out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got one last one. Um, I have talked about. I have talked about this one before, but. It was kind of more of a general kind of topic about the TV show in general. Uh, but yeah, I want to talk about the maybe my favourite episode, um, The Garvey's at Their Best in the TV show The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I did mention this before, but I feel like it's a good worth noting that it is still amazing. <laughs> um, can be, um, do you say it's a flashback episode? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of... It's episode nine in ten episode season, um, mm. and it's the first season, uh, and the the concept and the general kind of the plot of the show, at least the the inciting incident, at least is, 
Um, on October 11, 2011, um, 140 million people around the earth disappeared with no explanation, not even a final snap or no no dust or anything like that, just pure what happened. There's just nothing there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the guy was at the best, I think it's my favourite episode in the first season, but I do think I have better, I do feel like I have more favourite ones in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. But it's probably a pretty apt description of the turning point for me. Um because I loved the show before this episode. Don't get me wrong, I was all on board. Um, but um, similar, to, I keep on saying it, but similar to The Fly, I guess. <laughs> um, it sort of takes a break from the actual plot. Um, and it's after, after episode eight, which has a pretty cliffhanger ending, uh, where we are wondering how we are going to fix this problem. Uh, episode nine, out of nowhere, just kind of starts out with, um, seven years earlier, <laughs> and we kind of just experience every character we've grown to know and kind of at the very least understand, um, and we see them in a completely different light before the the 140 million people vanishing, the, the, the departure they call it in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's brutal because it's so happy and so sunny and so wonderful um, that you can't quite believe it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know it's going to come to like some sort of climatic, maybe we're going to end this episode with an actual, the moment it happens, the departure happens, um, which you don't really see in the show. We only see it twice. And this episode, this episode in the pilot, and the pilot isn't really any of the characters that we know. It's more or less just a random civilian that we see it through. Um, but this episode, it has this weird thing where I think a great example is there's this daughter character um, who is, throughout the entire show, kind of that almost generic, but I kind of understand why, because she lived through a terrible experience. Um, but kind of that, you know, the the teen who's very mean and just a horrible person and is kind of just, she, she could be a nice person, but we've got to wait a few years, that sort of teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's that kind of thing. And you get this flashback to uh, before the departure and all these other things and it's the same person but it's it's not. <laughs> um, she literally like sings by herself with no like reason to. She kind of just, she's literally always smiling. Um, she goes from being kind of a, a kind of an emo kind of cool teenager to oh she was a full-on nerd. <laughs> um, she wears braces um, she has, she has like really great friends, and she loves her brother, um, her stepbrother, I guess. Um, and they go on great, and the entire family gets on great, and we have this really great and kind of idyllic life of um, this garden party, um, mm. in which every character that we, well, every character we know from the entire show is in this one back garden of the main characters, and having the most lavish like over the top but perfectly kind of you know idyllic garden party over i think the main character's birthday um and it's it's so crushing because it's such it's so happy but you just know something's (laughs) coming yeah Um, but as well as this i think this show does something really great and i think it's something backstories 
and flashbacks kind of sometimes miss out on. And I think whenever you're doing a flashback, I always really like it when the flashback isn't just saying, this happened to a character, but I like the idea of going to a flashback and saying, this happened because of this character. Um, and it's, whilst no character, you know, well, here's the thing, we actually don't know because Departure is never explained in the show. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a spoiler to say because the spoiler, even when the show was coming out in the first season, the, the, the creator was like, this show is not about the mystery box of what happened. It's more about the characters and not, mm-hmm. we're not going to answer that question ever. Don't think about that. Um, so it's, we'd never really know what causes it or why it happened or where the other people, are the other people dead or are they in heaven or what are they doing? Uh, we have no idea. Um, so the last kind of scene in this episode before we go, go back to the future, um, we see every character doing something which may or may have not caused the entire departure <laughs> because every character is kind of falling to their demons, even though they have a perfect life and they shouldn't really be doing this. Um, the main character is one of my favorite characters of all time now. Um, he he is uh, cheating on his wife at the moment that happens, the departure happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always the sort of things where every character, especially the main character, but every character is experiencing this sort of, even though they have a perfect life right then, they're still doing things that hold them back from being just good people because they have this weird tendency to do terrible things and kind of not not kind of feel comfortable being loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has this amazing montage and this amazing piano melody that I love. Um, and it kind of, it's the epicenter of the entire show, but we only see it nine episodes into it and the contrast that we feel and the the kind of hefty emotional way of like, oh, these characters aren't this sad because this thing happened to them. It's because when it happened, they were at their lowest and they feel responsible for it. Um, yeah. And it's because there's no explanation for anything. So it could be literally anything that caused it. And it's just, it's an entire, the entire show is beautiful. And I, there's so many episodes I could talk about for another hour. There's so many like, there's three episodes, there's, there's three episodes um, and it's one every season of the three season um, TV show um, that focus on focus uh, focuses on Christopher Eccleston's character, um, who is a priest in this town. And you can imagine in a in a world where people have departed and gone to somewhere, and the rapture is a thing in the Bible, people mm-hmm. don't want to go to the church <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to be reminded of that. And his three episodes that he gets in each each, each season is is one of the best things that's ever happened on film <laughs> um, it's yeah it's great and i hope people more people watch it because when it came out it was and it was like praised well by critics and by audiences but i don't think it got the traction of like a show people wanted to come back to because it is hefty like it's depressing <laughs> the first season um it's a it's a commitment. You gotta be like, you gotta be like, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna be okay tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just that kind of thing. And I don't think mm-hmm. I got like kind of that traction of a Game of Thrones, which has its drama and conflict, but it's also kind of fun and it kind of has a grandness to it and it has mystery boxes, I guess, of like what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Leftovers kind of came out with the creator going, 
we're not going to answer that question. Don't think about that question. <laughs> so people didn't, I guess, kind of come back every week. Um, so it really struggled, by the way. The show really struggled. Like, getting three seasons was a lot. And mm. three seasons was, I think, perfect for the show anyway. But, yeah. I think people should really, really, if they can, just watch it and be prepared um, to feel all the emotions. <laughs> feel everything. Just feel it. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's one at the top of my my uh, my watch list. Yeah, <laughs> I think you'll love it. <laughs> I think I will as well. <laughs> Based on what you said, it's it sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my last pick for this one. Um, oh, yeah, lovely. <laughs> so, don't I really just want to watch it now. <laughs> I genuinely do. I'm not, I'm not just saying, I'm just saying that because I've talked about it now, but I do genuinely want to watch this because Wait. it sounds. It sounds brutal. You got you got a free Saturday, maybe. <laughs> I can it. make it a free Saturday. <laughs> Go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I'll wrap it up now. We can do, yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, if you have any favorite TV episodes of yourselves, let us know in the comments on our Instagram post or Twitter or in a review or whatever we have the podcast on. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know. Um, let us know any criticism, maybe any feedback, any positives. Do you, do you love us? Just let us we know. We love to hear it all. <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know. Um, also, just to remind you, we have an Instagram account at Cinema Marvelous. No, hang on. At Marvelous Cinema Podcast. <laughs> first time. I know <laughs> it's first do... time. It's impressive. <laughs> Where we do um, every other day reviews and weekly podcasts that come out on Mondays. Um, we also have a Twitter account at Cinema Marvelous where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts. Um, but yeah, I hope you really enjoyed this and thank you for mm-hmm. listening. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.